0: Father in heaven, thank you that you love to speak. Thank you that we don't have to guess what you're like or what you're saying, but you've revealed yourself to us in your son and your word about him. And so we pray as we look at these verses together now, um, you would soften our hearts, um, however old or young we are, uh, you would speak to us in a way that we can understand. And more than that, by your spirit, you would help us to be those who obey. Um, In Jesus' name, amen. I was, uh, I was walking across a bridge one day, and I saw a man standing on the edge about to jump off. So I ran over and said, don't do it. And he said, why shouldn't I? And I said, there's so much to live for. He said, like what? And I said, well, are you, are you religious or, or are you an atheist? He said, I'm, I'm religious. I said, me too. Are you a Christian or a Buddhist? He said, a Christian. I said, me too. Are you a Catholic or a Protestant? He said, a Protestant. I said, me too. Are you an Anglican or a Baptist? He said, a Baptist. I said, me too. Wow. Are you... Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord. He said Baptist Church of God. I said me too. Are you original Baptist Church of God, or are you Reformed Baptist Church of God? He said Reformed Baptist Church of God. I said me too. Wow. Are you are you Reformed Baptist Church of God Reformation 1879 or Reformed Baptist Church of God Reformation 1915. He said Reformed Baptist Church of God Reformation 1915. I said, oh die. Heretic scum. And I pushed him off which is a a, a bit silly, but it reminds us that last week we were thinking in large part about unity in church. And you remember what Paul said, the key to unity was a Christ-like, humble mindset. That was where unity came from. In fact, Jill was just reminding us and the children a moment ago. And humility is hard at the best of times, but it's particularly hard, isn't it, when we're under pressure. And the pressure for them in Philippi seemed to be hardship from the outside. They were facing persecution. And so, do you remember what Paul said? He, he reminded them to be different. Just as Philippi is a colony of Rome, so as Christians, we're living as an outpost of heaven in the midst of enemy territory. We're, we're to be those who dance to a very different beat. Everyone else bows the knee to Caesar. We bow the knee to Jesus. And so last week we thought about how that works, particularly inside the church community. How we relate to one another, the kind of mindset and attitude, behaviour that we're to have. Remember, with the mindset of Jesus Christ, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, valuing others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. How's that gone this week? The mark of our life together as believers is to be humility because the mark of Jesus is humility. Jesus, who even now is holding all of creation together, awesome, strong, powerful, and yet he uses that power for others. He serves, he loves. It's not me first, it's them first. And yet maybe we say, Okay, I get the idea, but it makes me feel a bit claustrophobic. It makes me feel like we're we're taking it just a bit too seriously, just a bit too keen, serving others all the time? Are you serious? What? When do I get to do what I want to do? When do I get to think about my own needs? I think one of the big dangers is we listen to the, the words of our culture that says... Well, be careful you don't take things too seriously. Don't be too extreme. It's great to have beliefs, they say. They're great friends you have at church. It's great to have a hobby. But if you live like that, you'll just be crushed. You'll be exhausted. You'll you'll get burnt out. It won't go well. But the Bible says, no, no, the more you go the way of Christ, the more you will know joy. The more you serve, the more you pour yourself out, the more you will know joy. And we've seen it already Philippians is a book bubbling away with joy. Joy from Paul as he as he prays for them at the very beginning in 1 verse 4. Uh, His joy will be complete as they're united. We saw that last week in a couple of weeks to come. There will be his joy and his crown on the last day, but. But joy for them too. It's not just Paul in lockdown, it's for the Philippians as well, for their progress and their joy in the faith. Last week, 1 verse 25, or they're to welcome Epaphroditus with joy, we'll see in a couple of weeks. Philippians is just bubbling and bursting with joy. Now, I think we've been duped. You see, the pattern of the Bible is that selfishness and, and me first actually makes us less human. To live like to live like Jesus and to serve others in humility, that makes us more like the people we were made to be. That is where we find joy. That's that's what we were created for. And so in 12 to 13, we see something of that being worked out, but there's still that nagging doubt, isn't there? That nagging doubt that says, Yeah, but won't we burn out? The 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 question going on in the back of our minds, if we If we think carefully about it, I think these verses give us three reasons why burnout is wrong. Why burnout isn't the thing that should happen. Salvation being worked out. 2 verse 12 to 13, salvation being worked out. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I think if we think carefully, there are three reasons why burnout is wrong. Okay, three reasons why we can pour ourselves out, why that is the best thing for us. And the first one, it's not work for, it's work out. You see, that's often what those outside the church think. As Christians, we just stay out of trouble. We stay off God's naughty step. We, we try and keep him on side. We stay in his good books. We, we live a certain way because we want to keep God happy with us. But, but, you know, Paul doesn't say you work for your salvation. He says you work out your salvation. You see, there's, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. It's not as if It's not as if we we serve and we serve and we work and we work and we try really, really hard, and then he lets us in the family if we do enough, if we're good enough, if we notch up enough points. No, no, because of Jesus, if we trust him, we're in the family already. And so we're just working out or, or living out or walking out what being in the family means. And yet we so easily get burnt out, don't we? We run and we run and we run and we sprint and we sprint and then we collapse because, because we still think we need to earn our salvation to work and to work and to work. It's like our heart is veered towards that. We, we get overwhelmed and, it, and we say yes to everything and, and it all falls apart. And Jesus says, come to me for rest, but we end up more tired, more exhausted. What Paul means when he says we're to work out our salvation is simply to live it out, to to walk it out even. Minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, being a them first Christian. Not to make him love us, but because he already loves us. Not to get us into the family, but because we're part of the family. Yet our hearts keep forgetting that. And we keep thinking, we must do more, we must do more, we must do more, but he's done it all. And you see, we're to do it with fear and trembling because, well, because God is awesome and powerful and majestic and mighty. It's not an optional extra that we live pleasing lives just for the superpowered, supercharged Christians. It's everyday Christian living. It's normal stuff. So there's the first reason that we shouldn't burn out. Second one, the second one is, it's not about you, it's about us. You see, our knee-jerk reaction when we come to a passage like this, I think, is, is so often we think it's about me. And yet, when, remember, when Paul is writing, he's not writing to an individual. He's writing to a church. He's writing to a people, to a family, to a community, which means it's not just about you or just about me. It's about us if you're regular at Morton Road, you'll know one of the images and ideas we often use to think about that is that we say that church is not a, a restaurant, church is a family meal. I could probably be quiet and you can recite this for me anyway, but I'll go for it just in case you're listening in. And you see, rather than coming along and sitting down and consuming and then leaving, which is what you do in a restaurant, actually we all get stuck in. Everyone's involved in serving, everyone's playing a part, and so someone's laying the table and someone's been making puddings all day, and someone's making a starter, and washing the salad, or washing the dishes, or finding extra chairs from the study, or washing up afterwards, or welcoming people at the door. That's hard when we're spatially isolated, isn't it? Our service is limited in one sense, but the reality is still there for us. It's still shared gifts, we're still a family together, serving Him, serving one another. We've still got a part to play. We're part of a body. We should all be involved. And that means it's it's okay not to do everything because we share the load. We do it together. In lockdown, that might mean that some of us have loads of time on our hands and loads of capacity. Maybe you're on furlough at home and you're getting bored. You're twiddling your thumbs, trying to think, how do I fill this next day? And some of us have got too much to do. And we're working and we're spinning plates and we're juggling and we've got children in the house, perhaps, or just more work because of the, the nature of the current situation, the current climate. Uh, maybe we can help each other. For those of us who have got very little to do and those of us who've got so much, maybe we need to think through how as a body do we function well? I won't say who, but some very lovely people provided a very lovely lasagna for us a, a week or so ago. Um, we couldn't eat it with them, which we'd have loved to do. That would have been fantastic. But it certainly helped our our overly stretched family at the moment. Are there ways you could serve other people who are struggling? Or do you even need to ask for help? Maybe you recognize that you're getting close to the limit and you're doing too much. And you need your church family in some way, even though we're distant, to actually serve and to help you. Maybe. Maybe that's a question for home groups later in the week. I think the third reason that burnout is wrong is us in our strength it's God in his strength striking isn't it too easily we flip-flop either way or maybe we just veer in one direction or the other depending on our personality and our character sometimes we have a verse 12 week and we are busy and our diaries are full and we are slightly wide and slightly twitching and we're taking in caffeine intravenously and we've got late nights and early mornings and we must make the most of the opportunities. We are busy, 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 busy. And suddenly we realize it's, it's all about us. It's what we can do. We feel burdened and overladen and we collapse and we end up losing the joy and we forgot about grace. Grace is replaced with exhaustion. Or sometimes it's a verse 13 week. You know, and you come chilled about everything, horizontal, attitudes and actions, no worries. God's got it sorted. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Feet up. Both extremes are unhelpful. We we often fall off the horse on either way. We must keep the balance together of verse 12 and verse 13. I need to remember this myself. But God never asks us to do what he doesn't equip us for. God never asks us to do what he doesn't equip us for. He provides and he enables. We must lean on him. We we mustn't lean on ourselves the whole time. Maybe that's especially a thing for this season, a great thing, truth to be chewing on, that he will provide for you to keep you going. And it might feel exhaustion is around the corner. And it might feel that you can't do it in your own strength. Maybe that's the point. He is the one who will provide what you need. So, salvation being worked out, it's not work for, it's work out. It's not about you, it's about us, even in lockdown. And it's not us in our own strength. It's God in his strength who enables us. The second half of the passage is interesting. This is less to do with salvation being worked out. But there you see it. It's what we do with the word of life. Secondly, Paul says the word of life being held out. Verse 14 to 18. And we've already seen this in the letter, but Paul's great passion in life is the cause of the gospel. That, that's why he can put his, his joy glasses on. That's why even though he's in prison in lockdown, it's a letter bubbling over with joy because he doesn't find his joy in his circumstances. He finds his joy in Christ. I through suffering, through hardship, through his chains. He's just overjoyed because God has worked and the gospel has advanced. It's an amazing mindset, isn't it? Have a look at verse 15 to 16. Then you will, sh- then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. See, they're facing hardship. The pressure is on. And Paul wants them, though, to be different. He wants them to shine. Now, it's striking, translation-wise, that can be hold out the word of life, or it can be hold fast to the word of life. And different uh, translations go with different, different ways. I'd like to argue, I think it must be both. The word is used as you might hold out food to someone, like a waiter, or maybe we're back at the family meal again, and someone holds out food. If you hold firmly and fast to the gospel truth, so you will be those who hold it out to others. The gospel is not something we, we hold on to and keep to ourselves. The gospel must be something we hold out. It's the good news that we, we trust and believe, but we pass on. The other way around as well, if you are holding out the word of life to others, then I guess you've taken it to heart yourself. To both ends, isn't it? We're, we're holding on to it personally. And the thing about stars... about stars is they are bright and they are beautiful in the darkness if you can get out of the city and we're allowed to drive out of the city now away from the streetlights, away from all the brightness you'll know when you look up into the dark night sky and you see the stars it is it's incredible isn't it it's mind-blowing now paul says that's what believers do that's to be us paul says what should we be doing, though, to get that word out? Often churches have conversations about the best way for a church to reach a neighbourhood. How do you reach out to the locality in which God has placed you? How do you reach out into your parish, so to speak? Is it kind of the, the big event mission week thing? Hiring out halls, flyers, hoodies, adverts on the radio, adverts on buses, that kind of stuff. Big scale. I think there's certainly a place for that. But it's striking, actually, what Paul says here. Look at verse 14. I think they join up. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Striking, isn't it? People will only listen to the message of salvation when we live it out. That's you in your office or on your family or on your street or on social media or on that Zoom call. In fact, we need to know that people are watching us. For good or bad, they are watching us. Which is why when Paul says, do everything without grumbling or complaining or arguing, or depending on your translation, "Ah, we feel a bit awkward. Because we know how bad we are at grumbling. The place is littered with people who have been... Christianity by moral objections not by mental objections but by Christians when I was a teenager not so long ago of course um, 25 years ago I used to listen to a band called DC Talk Um, I am putting myself out there in terms of age you can probably work out when I was a teenager Um, if you've not heard of them hey go and google or look on YouTube Um, I thought they were pretty good. I think they probably still are, but we'll see. Anyway, there was a start to one of their songs, um, a song called Jesus Freak. And there was a quote that I now know is from an American writer called uh, Brennan Manning. And the beginning of the song went like this. He said, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today are Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. I still remember those lyrics. I found them striking and I still do. Christians who say they are but their lives say they aren't. Oof. The story that's meant to be in the back of our minds as we read those words of grumbling and complaining is Deuteronomy 32. I think verse 15 is a little footnote down there. Do you remember people about to come to the promised land. Moses has led them And he tells them how to live so they reflect God to a watching world, how to be different, how to be set apart, not just to blend into the background, not just to follow the crowd, says Paul, says Moses. And the problem is their track record is really poor. On their way to the promised land, they were very, very good at grumbling and arguing. In fact, they were premiership quality. They were rescued from Egypt by Moses, Exodus 12, through the Red Sea, chapter 14. Moses and Miriam singing, chapter 15. And the next thing that happens, chapter 15, grumbling, no water. Chapter 16, grumbling, no food. Chapter 17, grumbling again, no water. You see, it's crazy. They've just escaped from Egypt. But they want to go back because there they had had vegetables. Don't they remember what they were rescued from? Don't they remember the slavery and the pain and the hardship and the oppression? And they want to go back. They're, They're grumbling. God has rescued them and they can't have what they used to have. They were crying out to him in distress. And he came and he answered their prayer. And now they're grumbling about it. And we say... We say, verse 5 to 11, look at Jesus. He's amazing. Let me tell you about the gospel. And your friends, our friends say, yeah, but but you just grumble and complain. You're not content. You're no different from us, they say. And it's, it's challenging, isn't it? It's challenging because often it's true. And you say, Jesus is so good. And yet the next day you moan about your job or your housemate or your colleague or your prospects or your spouse or your church and they say do you really believe it our friends can be so annoyingly perceptive at times aren't we good at grumbling and complaining do you get it paul paul wants the world to know that in christ we have more grace than we know what to do with more than we can share out to anybody we speak to and And yet then, if we live like we belong to Caesar, if we live like everyone else, then they'll never take Christ seriously. I think big events have their place. Except you need the combine harvester to come in and, and to bring people in in that way. But it's striking for Paul, it's in the little things, isn't it? It's every single little nook and cranny of your life. He says, go his way. And they're watching you. They're watching us. I saw a post last week on um, social media um, from John Wesley many moons ago. He said this. He said, I learned more about Christianity from my mother than from all the theologians in England. That's part because his, his mother taught him well. But actually, it also reveals hugely that there's more that is caught than is taught than we expect. Parents, isn't that striking? Isn't that concerning? Isn't that something we need to pray about? Our children are watching us. The whole complaining thing, I think I may have shared this in the past, but the whole complaining thing is a challenge as well. though. It's a challenge generally, I think. We live in a world that complains, but I think probably it's a challenge particularly now in this current context. Um, a little while ago, before lockdown, I was listening to Christian Radio, and um, there was a challenge on there that, that we were to, number one, I think for a month, not complain, and number two, to, to listen out for other people complaining through the day, just to take a sort of mental note, a mental tick. I deliberately did that for a while when we could, at the school gates, on the bus, just you know in the queue in the, in the shop, just going around and about my daily life, and it's astounding. Our culture is about complaining. I think this is a huge area where we can be different Christians. Even in lockdown, we, have, we do have so much to be thankful for, so many blessings. If, if complaining is something that you, you struggle with, as I think I probably do, why not maybe begin to write down a list of things, good things, that you can give thanks to God for? And as well as that, why not seek to bite your tongue? When you feel those complaints rising up, when you feel that discontentment, when you feel that anger, then ask God to give you self-control. And you see, if we live like that, if, uh, if the, with the Philippians, our lives are turned on our heads, well then with that kind of everyday living, then Paul says you'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that he didn't run or labor in vain, verse 16. Then he finishes, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. You see, on that day of Christ, when the risen and glorified Jesus comes back again, when all of creation will acknowledge and see Jesus for who he really is, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, we saw last week, Paul will be there, fist-pumping proud excited in the right sense boasting that he didn't labor in vain you say, hang on I thought this was about humility well paul would say i think well remember who is working in you remember it is god who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes and you see paul's perspective is that even though he's in lockdown even though he's cooped up in prison, even though it doesn't look ideal, he's able to rejoice because God is still at work in them. He's still at work in the Philippians. It's joy glasses again, putting gospel purposes ahead of his own purposes, putting gospel joy ahead of his own joy, if you like. And the drink offering it's an interesting phrase, it's sacrificial priestly language. And it's, I think it's as if the, the Philippians are the sacrifice to God, their lines, their costly obedience and love and joy and service, that's the main event. And if Paul is sort of poured out like a little bit of a little added extra, then so be it. In Numbers, the, um, the drink offerings were the finishing touches, the bringing to completion, the main sacrifice. Now Paul sees, sees himself as a a little drop of wine on top of theirs. Well, then he's glad. He rejoices. He, he's a nothing. He doesn't mind. His job is done. His joy is complete. So even in lockdown, he's excited by what God's been doing in them. On that final day, he'll see that. Let's pray as we finish. Father, we thank you for thank you for your word to us lord we confess we find it challenging all kinds of reasons we, we pray that we would be a people who don't argue and complain and grumble but we look to you content with what we have in you content with the blessings that we receive from you and we pray that you would give us the the strength to do that because we know the reality of your grace help us to keep our eyes fixed on christ we thank you for him Thank you, as we were thinking last week, of his extraordinary love for us. Thank you that he humbled himself for people like us. Lord, we long that we would shine like stars, even in this situation, even in this context now, even in this strange season. Give us the strength to be different, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.